God, I thank you for uh, speaking to us. I thank you for speaking to us in a way that we can uh, understand clearly through your word. I thank you for the gift of scripture, and, and I pray this morning that you would send your spirit to use your word to shape us uh, as your people. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Back in 1990, Tim O'Brien wrote a fictionalized memoir of his time as a soldier during the Vietnam War. Uh, this actually became a very popular collection of stories. It's called uh, The Things They Carried. and became standard fare in high school and, and uh, college literature curriculum. But O'Brien uh, gives a vivid picture of life and survival uh, during that war. And he details uh, what each uh, man carried through the war. He starts with the small stuff. He says, among the necessities or near necessities were P-38 can openers, pocket knives, heat tabs, wrist watches, dog tags, mosquito repellent, chewing gum, candy, cigarettes, salt tablets, packets of Kool-Aid, lighters, matches, sewing kits, military payment ration, uh, certificates, sea rations, and two or three canteens of water. Together, these items weighed between 15 and 20 pounds. And then he starts talking about this, and then he goes on to uh, the, the more uh, deeply kind of necessity items. So, of course, in addition to these small things, they carry protective equipment and wear uh, these steel helmets. Each man carried a steel helmet weighing five pounds and, and jungle boots weighing one pound, he says, and then flak jackets wearing 6.7 pounds, all in an attempt to be safe. But then O'Brien talks about the things that they carried that gave them psychological comfort, the things that, that they brought with them so that they would feel safer. And so he talks about one man who, who brought 14 pounds worth of extra ammunition for the desire to keep himself extra safe so he could always be able to protect himself. Other men carried grenade launchers and a whole bunch of rounds to be able to keep themselves safe and protected. One man carried a hatchet. Another man carried a slingshot, all of them trying to find some way of keeping themselves safe. And then, of course, there's the superstitious items. One man carried a, a little good luck pebble that, that a girl from the, from the States had sent him, and he carried it in his mouth everywhere that he went as a good luck charm. Someone else had a, a rabbit's foot that they kept in their pack. What's fascinating is, is to see woven into the story the, the weight of fear and uncertainty that fueled the particular items that each man carried. So each item being considered a necessity in its own way, tied to symbolic significance and an unspoken plea to somehow escape this world of death. And what's striking is to realize, and O'Brien really draws this out in the stories, is that for all that was carried for protection, for all that was carried for safety, there's never a guarantee that it would work. There was never a guarantee of safety. So, for example, the, the man who carried twice the normal amount of ammunition to be able to defend himself was one of the first ones killed. It was interesting to see this and to see the, the psychological struggle, the weight they carry and attach to each one of these items, and yet it's never enough. Now, we're not soldiers in the Vietnam War, but I wonder how many of us feel a similar vulnerability in life. I wonder how many of us carry the weight of anxiety, trying to find ways of protecting ourselves against harm and against disaster and against pain, and yet realizing that when it comes down to it, we're not able to fully protect ourselves. We're not able to ensure that we're going to be okay. This is a hard fact of life that we have to deal with. So the question is, what, what do we do with this? As a church, that the center of our existence is what is called the gospel. It's the, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And this, this morning, we're going to see how that good news about Jesus provides us with true protection, 
provides us with the protection that we really need to be able to live and survive in, in this world. So we're in the last week of our series, our fall series in the book of Ephesians. And this is a letter that's written by an early church leader named Paul to this church in the ancient city of Ephesus. And, and here he's giving a concluding call to action at the end of this book in light of everything that he's written so far. And, and the call to action is this, be strong in Jesus. So the whole message today amounts to be strong in Jesus. So let's take a look at the text this morning and see what this is all about. Grab a Bible if you haven't already done that. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 10 through 24, uh, the final verses of Ephesians chapter 6. This is found on page 1821 of the Pew Bible. So Ephesians 6, 10 to 24, page 1821. As we see this call to be strong, first we're going to look at why we need to be strong in Jesus and then how we can be strong in Jesus. So let's first look at why we need to be strong in Jesus in the first place. Here's how he begins this section. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So this is the concluding charge. He's now wrapping up the letter and he's giving this final call to action. And this is in light of everything that he's said so far. So you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Jesus. You were chosen in Jesus before the creation of the world. You used to be dead in your sins, but now because of the mercy of God, he has made you alive in Jesus. Walk now worthy of this calling you've received. So in light of everything there, he gives this final charge. Be strong. And notice that it's not be strong, period, end of thought. It's be strong in the Lord. It means be strong in Jesus. Be strong in the power of Jesus. Now, we already see the, the answer to the why question beginning in the second half of verse 11, where he's saying, you put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Well, what's this all about? Look at verse 12. He says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul is telling us that there is a, there is a larger spiritual reality to the world than, than most of us would acknowledge in a, in a typical day. So there's the dimensions that we see, right? There's time and space and people and governments and good guys and bad guys and the natural world around us. But he's alerting us to the fact that there's a larger reality as well. That there's something bigger than the, just the natural world around us. He calls it the heavenly realms. And this isn't the first time he's talked about this. Back in chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he talks about how God put Jesus in a position of authority and victory over every other opposing force in the heavenly realms or in this other spiritual dimension of life that he's talking about. And now he's saying that the struggle that followers of Jesus are engaged in is not a struggle with other humans, that's what flesh and blood means, but it's against the spiritual forces that oppose God. That's what rulers, authorities, powers, and, and spiritual forces of evil mean. So Paul is saying that, that we, as followers of Jesus, we need to be prepared. We need to be strong. We need to stand because there's another dimension to reality. There's a spiritual reality, and, and that's what our fight is against. Now, uh, in our culture, we're a bit schizophrenic uh, about this idea that there might be another uh, dimension to life. So on the one hand, we are naturalists. What we can see, what we can verify, what we can test, what we can reproduce, this is uh, a scientific perspective of what reality is. So there's the natural world, there's the scientifically verifiable stuff, and that's it. 
We're good naturalists. But on the other hand, there's, there's been a growing interest in the possibility of another realm. So, for example, in his book, Meet Generation Z, which I'd recommend you read, by the way, uh, James Emery White talks about a growing interest in, in spiritual realities. He, he points specifically to a big jump in the percentage of people who would say that they believe in ghosts. So, for example, in Britain, that's over 50% now of people who believe in ghosts. And in fact, there's such interest in this that, that they actually have these, these ghost walks and ghost tours. They, they tour ancient or old historical buildings and houses and things like that that are said to be haunted. And not only is there belief in ghosts, but also uh, a, a strong number of people, a growing number of people would say that they've had some kind of paranormal experience. And we see some of these kind of factors in, in the U.S. here as well. So we've seen shows about the paranormal and interest in those kind of things. So really, we're, we're kind of divided on this. We're a bit schizophrenic on this. The reality is, for most of human history, and in most places of the world today, there has always been a belief in a spiritual dimension to life. And now in the Western world, we're kind of uh, coming back to this idea. But the problem is that most of us really have no sense of, of where to get truth on this. How can we know for sure beyond just speculations and TV shows and, and haunted house tours and things like that? Well, the Bible lays it out for us clearly in a way that we can understand. Now, you might not uh, yet today believe in the truthfulness or the authority of the Bible, but it gives a very clear and accurate picture of what's happening in the spiritual world. There are forces at work that are opposed to God's work, and then there is God who is victorious over those forces in Jesus. So followers of Jesus are called to be strong in Jesus, and why is because there are spiritual forces that are seeking to destroy us. That's why we need to be strong in him. Another letter of the Bible puts it in even more graphic terms. This is another letter written by Peter. This is 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. He says, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. I mean, that's a terrifying picture, isn't it? Our enemy, the, the, the enemy that we have is, is like a lion seeking to just devour, to destroy us. That's a pretty terrifying picture. And yet the point here isn't for us to respond in terror. The point is for us to be prepared. And we get a picture of that here in Ephesians 6. Verse 13, Therefore, in light of the fact that the struggle we have is with a spiritual dimension, these spiritual forces that are opposed to God and his work that are seeking to destroy you, the fact that Satan is a lion trying to devour you, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. So notice that the, the message here is not run screaming for your lives. The message is looking with sobriety at the situation and saying, get ready, prepare to stand your ground. So we respond by putting on the armor of God, more on that in a moment, but it's about being ready, it's about being alert and prepared. I, I think about this like, like living in Alaska, where I grew up in Alaska, we had grizzly bears, and, and grizzly bears are just these massive alpha predators with, with incredible power for destruction. And everyone who lives in Alaska has some sort of story about bears. And one of the reasons that we tell these stories is to reinforce the fact that, that we need to be ready, that we always need to be prepared to protect ourselves. Now, we don't think about this here, at least I don't think about this here. When we go to the state park, our kids will go and we'll hike in the woods, we'll explore, we'll have fun. I never think about bears. I know we've got some black bears around and stuff like that, but in my mind, it's just not really a thing. 
But when we go up to Alaska, we still go out into the woods, we still hike, we still have fun, we still explore, but we always carry bear protection with us. Every single time. Every single time. Because I learned growing up that you never go into the woods unprepared. And the stories reinforce that. All it takes is one time being not ready. So one summer uh, during college, I worked for the National Park Service, and, and all summer long, we hiked all over the National Park, and, and everywhere I went, I carried this, this can of kind of bear-strength pepper spray with me. It's either strapped to my backpack or on my belt. Everywhere I went, I carried that with me. It just became second nature, except for one time. It was the end of a really long day, and, and it, everything went wrong that day, and I was just exhausted by the end of the day, so we're getting ready to to head into the tents and, and go to bed. And I made one trip over to the, uh, to the outhouse. And it was a couple hundred yards away. I just didn't think about it. Left my bear spray back in the tent. And of course, as soon as I come out of the outhouse, there is a grizzly bear between me and where I need to go, just 100 feet away from me. And of course, my heart is racing now. Fortunately, the, the door slammed in the outhouse and the bear took off into the woods. But I'll tell you, that was a harrowing experience walking that couple hundred yards back to the tent, being totally vulnerable, totally un- unprepared for the situation. One of the scariest walks I've had in my life. That's not a perfect analogy, but it's, the point here is that we have to be alert. We have to be aware of this kind of thing. We have to be ready. We can't live our lives oblivious to the fact that there is a, there is a whole spiritual dimension to life. If we live oblivious to that, we're just making ourselves vulnerable. And if this is true, if Satan is a lion waiting to devour us, if our struggle is against spiritual forces, then we need to be alert. We need to put on the full armor of God so that we can take a stand, so that we're ready to defend ourselves against this. So, so how do we do that? We've seen the why, that kind of another dimension to life. Now we have to see that the how as well. How can we be strong in Jesus? Well, he's already instructed us here to put on the full armor of God. He said it twice already. Here's what that looks like. Verse 14. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. At this point, it's tempting to go into uh, detail about what Roman-era uh, soldiers looked like, and, and some of you who are history buffs probably want to talk a little bit about that. Uh, but I found this picture, and I thought, you know what? No one really wants to look like that, right? So we're going to contextualize. We're going to update a little bit so you don't look uh, weird and kind of old. Like, so we're going to uh, kind of bring new body armor into it, if you can kind of show the next one here. So, so think of it more as like, what would a modern soldier put on to protect themselves from this? See, the point isn't about what Roman soldiers wore. The point is about us being ready and, and being protected in this struggle that we're in. So the Christian's body armor, I want you to notice this. The Christian's body armor consists of several things. It's truth, it's righteousness, it's the gospel of peace, it's faith, it's salvation, and it's the word of God. So this is what we put on to protect ourselves. So we take God's truth and we we wrap it around ourselves. We live day in and day out in this truth This is a protective equipment for us. We're upheld by God's truth. We live in God's truth. And then as as a breastplate, as our flak jacket, we put on God's righteousness, the righteousness that is given to us in Jesus. We're protected from attack by living out God's justice, by being fair and upright in our dealings with others and putting on the righteousness that we have in Jesus. And then our feet, 
We're ready for action as we hold on to the gospel of peace. We, we hear the good news that we have peace with God through what Jesus has done for us, and we stand in that reality, ready to go anywhere that he calls us. And then for our shield, we hold up our faith. And this is the main protective element. The, the, the evil one is described as taking these arrows and just shooting flaming arrows at us. Again, that's a terrifying picture. If we're unprotected, we're going to be destroyed. But we're not unprotected. We take up as our shield the faith that we have in Jesus. And it effectively extinguishes every single one of those arrows that Satan shoots our ways. Our trust in Jesus protects us. And then we put on as a helmet the salvation that we have in Jesus. He's knowing that, that Jesus has rescued us from the powers of death and darkness. It provides vital protection for us. And then finally, we take up the sword of the Spirit, God's Word, the Gospel. So God's Spirit applies the Gospel to our hearts, and then we can knock back any one of Satan's attacks with a message of good news that enables us to stand. See, what this is all about is that Jesus has already defeated these powers that we're in a struggle against by the cross and by the resurrection. See, the sum total of, of all of this is that for us to be prepared to stand against attacks, against the spiritual realm, means that we have to live in Jesus. See, Jesus has already destroyed the spiritual forces by his death on the cross and by his resurrection. So we are strong when we are in Jesus, when we live in him. So the how we can be strong in Jesus is staking our lives on the reality of what Jesus has already done for us and clinging to that reality every single day. I mean, this is vital. The strength that we stand in is not our own strength. It's the strength of Jesus which we then put on as our armor. And in fact, this is, this is where the idea of the armor of God comes from in the first place. This is already uh, earlier in the Bible, in the prophet Isaiah. He talks about God himself looking at uh, his people and seeing that, that he needs to come and bring his salvation to them. So God puts on his armor in Isaiah 59. Listen to just a couple verses there. This is Isaiah 59, verse 16, 17. So God is bringing his salvation, verse 17, he put on righteousness as his breastplate. It's the same language. And the helmet of salvation on his head. It's the exact same language as here. The breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. And yet it's God who's arming himself, putting on this armor to come and bring his righteousness and bring his salvation into the world. And in fact, earlier in Isaiah as well, in Isaiah chapter 11, a chapter that we often read around Christmas time, we get a similar sort of an image. It's talking about this king that God is going to send. And it starts off like this. A shoot will come down from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. So it's speaking of this king in line with, with King David from the Old Testament, this idealized king of God's people. And God is going to raise up another king. And, and this is what it says here, verse 5. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness the sash around his waist. So again, this king that God sends to bring salvation to his people is spoken of in the same way of putting on the armor of God. Well, God has already done that for us. He's done that through Jesus for us to accomplish this salvation. And now Paul is applying that truth to each one of us who's a follower of Jesus. Jesus has already put on God's armor. He has already effected this victory over the spiritual forces of darkness. And now he gives us his armor so that we can stand in the victory that he's already won. That's our protection. Our protection is in the fact that Jesus already won. Okay, one final piece to this. Verses 18 through 20. 
and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So the final piece is not a piece of body armor per se, but but it's crucial to what it means to live in Jesus so that we can stand. It's a constant life of prayer. One commentator puts it like this, prayer is like spiritual breathing. So just like for physical life, we can't live without breathing. So for being in Christ, we can't live without praying. Another said that prayer is the the fundamental posture of the Christian life. This is what it means to be in a relationship with the true God, is to be a person of prayer. See, it's it's a constant awareness that we need to live in relationship with God and in reliance on Him. And Paul makes it as comprehensive as possible. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. See, this is about being alert. It's about being prepared. It's about upholding others who are followers of Jesus, including people like Paul who are in frontline ministry. And then a few concluding verses at the end of the letter. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. As we look at this this final charge, this final call to action, we realize that, that how we take it, the big takeaway for us, is the simple truth that we have to be strong in the power of Jesus. So this starts with a, with a call to awareness that we are engaged in a struggle. And the struggle is not just the dimension that we see, but there's another dimension, a spiritual dimension against forces that oppose God and his work. And some of us, as we hear that, we'll, we'll hear it and, and think it's kind of crazy sounding. It'll sound a little bit paranoid to us. And other of us will hear it and, and we'll be moved to, to terror. We'll look for a, a demon behind every door. And others of us will, will hear this and we'll kind of have an uneasy fascination with another realm and, and give it undue attention. One scholar puts it well to kind of correct this idea. He says, the Bible cares about the demonic only to make two points. One, evil is defeated. And two, we should not be caught by its schemes. In other words, the application is exactly what Paul is saying. Be strong in Jesus. Be alert to this so that you don't fall prey for it. Be strong in Jesus. Put on the armor that God gives us. Cling to the gospel, and by applying the gospel to every aspect of our lives, we are able to stand firm in this struggle. See, if we put on this armor, we don't need to fear because we know that Jesus has already won the victory. We know that we are safe in him. We stand protected. See, that's what makes all the difference in the world. Let me give you just a little picture of the difference that this makes. So uh, when I was in, in middle school, we had a special uh, recess one day. Um, there was an ice rink on campus. Usually we weren't allowed to go skating on that during recess, but for some reason that day we were allowed to. So there were a group of us who were hockey players, and we got out our sticks and pox, and we set a goal at, at one end. And we had a lot of fun, but of course this is just a, a casual resource uh, recess. No one's wearing helmets. No one's wearing protective gear. We just have sticks and pucks and a goal. It's not a big deal. So one of my friends from the hockey team, he winds up to take a slap shot, and he lets it fly. And right as he lets it fly, this girl from my class turns in front of the net. 
And I see and I watch this puck flies up and it catches it right above the eye, drops down to the ice, blood starts going, everyone crowds her. It's just, it's a really scary situation. Now, fortunately, the girl was okay, no major issues, anything like that, but it was a really scary moment. You saw this is what uh, it looks like. And we contrast that with another situation. So I played co- uh, hockey uh, on a club team in college, and we were getting ready for a game one night, uh, running through warm-ups and all that, and, and one of my teammates, same thing, winds up first lap shot, lets it fly right as I'm crossing behind the net. And I I don't realize that until I see this blur of black come flying at me and it hits me right here. But here's the difference. I'm wearing a helmet. I've got a full cage on. Now it hit hard enough that that my ears were ringing. It took me a a minute to be able to hear anything again. It actually dented in the metal of my my cage, but I skated away. It didn't knock me down to the ground, didn't bleed, didn't break my jaw, none of that stuff. I was able to play in the game, not another thought about it. That's the difference that it makes to, to have a helmet. That's the difference that is offered to us. One scholar notes that the irony that we live in a country that spends trillions of dollars on national security, right? We beef up our intelligence. We develop unimaginably powerful weapons. We train tons of soldiers. We do everything we can to protect ourselves. Our defense budget is huge. But how many of us are walking around totally defenseless to any kind of spiritual attack? We're skating around without helmets, and and Satan's trying to snipe us with deadly slap shots. A pastor friend put it like this. He says, I feel like most Christians come to church, and as we come to church, we put on our helmets. We put on our helmet of salvation as we come to church, and for a couple hours, we're we're singing songs, we're, we're hearing God's word, we're praying, we've got our helmets on. But as we leave the church building, we take off our helmets and slide them off onto the ground, and then off we go. But where does that leave us? It leaves us totally vulnerable, totally defenseless. We're going to get sniped and, and have no idea what happened. The message is simple. You've got to put on your helmet. You've got to hold up your shield of faith. You've got to put that, that flak jacket of righteousness on. You've got to hold up the sword of the gospel. Let me give you just a, an example of what that looks like. A friend of mine recently had a health scare. He was having some kind of bizarre symptoms, uh, some unclear tests, and then they ran a scan of his brain and, and they discovered something. It wasn't really clear what that thing was, but it was clear that this was definitely something that was concerning. So as he was heading to the neurosurgeon, uh, this is what he said, pointing to the same passage. He said he's putting on his helmet of salvation because he knows that he could go in there and they could tell him, you've got weeks to live. Or they could tell him, okay, there's a tumor and, and we need to remove it, you might lose your hearing. You might lose some functionality. Or they might say, yeah, you know, that's just a blip. Not a big deal. We'll just monitor it. He doesn't know what that doctor is going to say. And so he needs to put on that helmet of salvation. Because if, if he has that helmet on, if, he, if he's holding up that shield of faith, he knows that eternity's already taken care of. He's standing in the victory that Jesus already has won for him. And yes, he might get hurt. Yes, he might end up losing his life. He might lose functionality. But you know what? Satan can't touch him. He already knows that for eternity, he's going to live with God. The question of eternity is already taken care of. That's what it looks like to put on the helmet of salvation, to hold up the shield of faith. You don't know what this week's going to bring. You don't know what the spiritual forces are going to try to do to destroy you. But here's what you know. Jesus already won. And he won for you. 
you stand in that. See, when Jesus died on the cross and when he rose from death to life, it was the final stamp in that war. He wins. And he'll always win. Being strong does not mean being a strong person and standing in your own strength. Being strong means staking your life on the reality of what Jesus has already done for you. When you do that, nothing can touch you. You might get hurt, you might have difficult times, but Satan can't touch you if you're standing in Jesus. Your life is in his hands. So the message is simple. You, just, you put on your helmet. You put on your helmet of salvation. You hold up your shield of faith. You, you wrap God's righteousness around you as a flakjack. You take up the sword of the gospel. You put on the, the, the boots of the, the gospel of peace so you're ready for anything. Jesus wins. So put on your protection. He offers you his body armor for your protection. So we have to put it on. This week we celebrate Thanksgiving, and some of us will, will gather with our friends and family. Some of us will travel over the week. Some of us will have a quiet day by ourselves. Some of us will, will work through the holiday. I want to encourage you to use this week, and, and specifically to use the Thanksgiving holiday, as an opportunity to celebrate the good news of what Jesus has done for you. As we offer thanks, offer thanks first and foremost for the gospel. This is an opportunity for us to praise him for who he is and for what he's done for us. He he offers us his salvation. And then to take that up, to take up the protection of his salvation so that no matter what happens this week, no matter how the spiritual forces attempt to attack you, to discourage you, to destroy you, you're safe in Jesus. So here's the parting call to action that Paul gives us. Be strong in the power of Jesus. Put on God's armor and stand, no matter what comes. Pray with me. God, I thank you for uh, the gift of our salvation that we have in Jesus. And I thank you for the armor that that Jesus gives us. I pray that we would not uh, leave here today and just toss it aside as unnecessary but instead that we would cling to it, that we'd put it on every single day, that we'd be alert to the reality of this, this spiritual battle that we are involved with, but not to allow that to, to move us to fear and terror, but instead to, to move that to a greater reliance on you so we live every part of our lives in the knowledge of the salvation that we have in you and that that would give us great peace and great joy. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.